This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Well, let's take our Bible and go to 1 Peter chapter number 5, 1 Peter chapter number 5, and uh, we'll begin reading uh, in verse number 8, 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse number 8. The Bible addresses all of our needs. The Scripture is given to us by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, uh, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And we turn to the Bible and we hear God's voice as he speaks to us. Peter is writing to the believers that were scattered abroad as a result of the persecution that came against the church in Jerusalem. He's writing to them in the midst of their affliction. And he says to them in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to notice the statement we read in verse number 9 concerning our adversary, the devil. The Bible said, resist whom, speaking of the devil, resist steadfast in the faith. I want to speak to you on this subject this evening, resist the devil. Resist the devil. You know that Satan is the ultimate enemy. He hates God. He hates the Son of God. He hates the work of the Holy Spirit. He hates the church. He hates the people who make up the church. That means he hates you. He hates the children of God. If you know the Lord is your Savior, you are a child of God. You are one of the sons of God, and the devil hates you. And I want you to know that he is a persistent foe. He is walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He never stops roaming. He never stops working. His time is short. He is a defeated foe. Uh, he knows that uh, it won't be long until he is uh, bound and, and chained and placed into uh, the lake of fire, the pit. And, of course, uh, he, he understands his ultimate destiny is hell. 
and therefore he is persistent, he is powerful, and he is persuasive. Uh, ask Adam and Eve, they will tell you how persuasive he is. And Peter, who is writing here to the suffering saints, are encouraging them that they not allow their suffering to deter them, that they not allow Satan to defeat them, but that they determine to resist the devil. James, who also wrote to the Hebrew Christian saints who were scattered, said to them in James chapter 4 and verse number 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so we twice read the message and the uh, admonition of God's apostles, the Lord's apostles, who say to us, resist the devil. The word resist means to stand against. God's children are to stand against the devil. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. We have been called as the children of God to stand against the devil and the work of iniquity. And we are to resist him uh, steadfast. The word steadfast means to resist firmly, to resist with strength, and to be immovable. We are to hold our position. We are to occupy the ground that God has given us. We are to stand in our place, and we are to persistently, powerfully, persuasively resist the devil in the strength of the Holy Ghost, armed with the armor of faith and the arm of, armor of light, and holding forth the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we have a picture of this for us, Jesus, who resisted the devil. Early in his ministry, after his baptism, he went into the wilderness, and there Satan met him, and he was tempted of the devil. And in all three points in which he was tempted, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the same three points that Adam and Eve failed in, the same three points that you and I fail in on a daily basis, the Lord Jesus conquered the devil. And he conquered him each time with three simple words. It is written. It is written. What was the Lord Jesus appealing to? He was appealing to the word of God. And the Bible said that we are to resist the devil steadfast in the faith. What is our weapon? Our weapon is the word of God. And we exercise the word of God with a muscle of faith, proclaiming and trusting in what God has said as we face this wicked adversary on a daily basis. Now, Paul resisted the devil through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Remember the messenger of Satan that came to buffet him? And uh, Paul asked the Lord uh, to remove that that thorn in his flesh. And the Lord spoke to Paul and said, my grace is sufficient. And so he resisted the devil through grace. He needed the grace of God to withstand the attacks of the devil. And then I think about Peter. And remember what the Lord Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, Satan hath desired you that he might sift you like wheat. What was Peter's defense? Well, he had the greatest defense of all. 
by the way, it wasn't his defense. It was the Lord's defense. Just as the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient to you. The Lord said to Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you've been converted, strengthen the brethren. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for you. Just this week and in the recent weeks, I know that there are individuals and families in our church who have been under attack, satanic attack, spiritual attacks, coming against them, coming against their families, striking fear, the striking uncertainty and doubt into their hearts. I want you to know that in recent weeks, there is no doubt that the devil has been opposing the work of this local assembly. And one thing you can know that as we endeavor to do the work of God, as we endeavor to go forward in faith, the devil is going to resist us. He is our adversary, and he is walking about seeking whom he may devour. Now, I want to remind you that the devil is a defeated foe. I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Would you turn there with me? Isaiah chapter number 14. And I want to remind you that Satan is a defeated foe. And just in case he's listening tonight, I want him to be reminded that he is a defeated foe. Isaiah chapter number 14 and verse number 3. The Bible said, And it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve, that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he hath ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted, and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller is come against us. In other words, the trees are saying, nobody's brought an axe against us since the king of Babylon has been defeated. All the earth is rejoicing at the demise of the king of Babylon. Notice in verse number nine, hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth it hath raised up from their stone or from their thrones all the kings of the nations and they shall speak and say unto thee art thou also become weak as we art thou become like unto us thy pomp is brought down to the grave and the noise of thy vials the worm is spread under thee and the worms cover thee how art thou fallen from heaven o lucifer Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Here we see that this prophecy is dealing directly with the devil himself, with Lucifer, the fallen one. And so we see that his judgment is about to befall him. He has been cast down from heaven, and he is going to be judged. Verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. 
They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners, and all the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, and as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword, that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden underfoot. Here we see the demise of Satan, how that he is removed from his position, how he is cast down from the heavens, how he is brought under judgment, and ultimately he is to be cast into hell. I want you to know that Satan is a defeated foe. But I also want you to know that while he remains upon this earth, while he has access to the heavens, he will continue as our adversary. And it is our responsibility as the church of the living God to be engaged in this spiritual conflict that we are engaged in. We have an enemy and we are to resist him. And I want you to know that resistance doesn't simply come in a Sunday night meeting. That resistance must take place Monday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Friday night, Saturday evening, we are to learn to resist the devil, steadfast, firm, fixed, and unmovable. May we, in the faith, trusting the word of God, come against the devil as he comes against us. Now, I want you to note three things we find in this passage. First of all, I want you to see the adversary that we encounter. The adversary we encounter, and I want you to know that we will surely encounter him. We note here in verse number eight, the admonition, he says, be sober, be vigilant. He's calling them to be aware, to be alert, to be on guard. He's saying, beware. If you hear that shouted in a crowd, you're going to want to look around and find out why uh, someone is telling you to be aware. Pay attention. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, I want you to note something about the adversary. Go, if you would, please, with me to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. The apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus concerning the conflict that all of us are engaged in, this spiritual conflict. And we need to recognize this. And so we need to recognize our adversary. Notice, if you would, please, beginning in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. To resist the devil means to stand against the devil. And we're to stand against the wiles, the tactics, uh, the, the tricks of the devil. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and high places. We're not just dealing with men here. We're dealing with spiritual forces in realms of power and authority that we as men do not possess. This is a conflict 
that you and I alone are not able to bear. We need great strength. That's why he began by saying, be strong in the Lord. You and I are not strong enough to resist the devil. But I want you to know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We understand that the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated the devil. He made a show of him openly. He overcame him there in the wilderness. He overcame him on the cross of Calvary. He overcame him when he walked out of the tomb on the third day. We are victorious. We are more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because we have a strong enemy, but we have a stronger Savior. Verse 13, knowing this, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand. There's that word again, stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. I want to say to our church that we need to understand that what God is doing in our church and what God is doing in our lives has received the attention of hell. And the devil wants to come against us, and the devil wants to come against you. And therefore, you and I need to take a stand. Young person, you need to take a stand in your personal life. You need to take a stand, parents. You need to take a stand, Grandma and Grandpa. May God help us to take a stand. Now, how do we do so? Most days, we're too weak to stand. Most days we're too lazy to stand. Most days we're too distracted to stand. So how are we to stand? Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. You know, we need to have an awareness and a knowledge of the truth of the word of God. And it is that truth that will hold us up. Uh, this, the, the area of our loins uh, that is the seat of our strength, uh, our midsection, our core, if you will. Uh, we are to be held up by the truth of the word of God. I want to tell you, our emotions are, are, are deceiving. And, and there are days when we feel victorious and, and in the next moment uh, we fall into some snare. And there are days when we feel down and out, but the truth never changes and God never changes. And therefore, may we learn to hold firmly, to grasp the truth, to keep the sword in our hand. Stand therefore with your your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's try to live a righteous, holy life. Let's keep short accounts with the Lord. When sin comes in, let's acknowledge it, let's confess it, and let's get clean. Let's keep on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's be ready to tell people the message of Christ. And, 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 and let's not lose our footing in this wicked world when the accuser comes against us because we have heard and responded to the message of the gospel and we have the peace of God in us, the peace that passes all understanding. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with perseverance and supplication for all saints. Can I give you some good advice this, this, this evening? It's a good idea to take Ephesians 6 every morning and, and pray on this armor. It's a good idea to remind you yourself at lunchtime throughout the day 
when you deal with disappointing news, when you deal with temptation, when you deal with heartache, that you have a responsibility to stand against the wiles of the devil. And by the way, if the devil never came against us, we would never learn how to stand. But he is coming against us. He's coming against you. He's coming against your children. He's coming against this church. And may God help us in this moment not to shirk from, the, from our responsibilities, not to shudder in fear, not, not, not to slide away, but may God help us to stand. The adversary is recognized, but then we see the action that is required. And notice, it, if you would please, that we are to be sober and we are to be vigilant. These are two actions that we must take. The word sober means to be watchful, to, to be circumspect, to be wise, to be alert, to be attentive. You know, as, 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 as we grow older, we become more concerned about dangers. We watch over our children and our grandchildren. Uh, if we are gathering in the foyer and uh, our grandchildren are there in the foyer, what are they wanting to do? Well, normally they're wanting to run out into the parking lot. And as a grandparent, I'm concerned because I know there are people in that parking lot who are moving about in their automobiles. There are people who are drive through the breezeway. You see, I am aware of a danger that those precious little boys are not aware of. And may God help us to be alert, to be sensitive, to understand that the devil is out there as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And therefore, we cannot afford to be careless. We cannot afford to be slipshod. We must be sober, clear-minded, serious, sensible, and solemn. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy life. It doesn't mean we can't laugh. No, it just means we understand the danger that awaits us. Every morning when we arise from our beds and we move to work and we go about our day, we need to understand the devil is out there. We don't need to live in fear, but we need to live in faith. And the first part of that is an acknowledgement of the fact that God has commanded us to be sober. And then he says, be vigilant. The word vigilant means to arise, to be aroused, to watch, to refrain from sleep. You see, we live in a world that's gone to sleep. We have a culture that calls itself woke, but we have a church that is asleep. May God help the church to be awakened. We need to be mindful of threatening dangers with conscious alertness and earnestness. We need to keep away from all things that will numb us and cause us to be drowsy, that will draw the energy of our faith away from us. May God help us that we... Uh, would be sober and be vigilant. The adversary that we encounter, may God awaken us to the adversary and may God help us to be obedient in this action that he's requiring us to take. The second thing we see here, not only the adversary that we encounter, but we see the afflictions that we endure. The afflictions that we endure. The Bible says in verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Do you know that Satan uses affliction? He uses trials to wear us down. We 
uh, suffer in this world, yea, all that will live uh, godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Think it not strange concerning, uh, concerning rather, the fiery trials uh, that you will deal with. Uh, Peter begins here in 1 Peter speaking about the trial of our faith being more precious than that of gold. And I want you to know when our faith is tried, it is not to reveal to God the, the level of our faith and sincerity of our faith. It is to reveal it to us, the level and sincerity of our faith. And here we find that we will suffer afflictions in this world. Now, we love our comfort, don't we? Affliction is something that we often do find strange, but we need to understand that affliction is a tool that God will use in our lives for his glory. And afflictions come to us, and Satan uses afflictions. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 2 and verse number 11 concerning Satan and his work uh, against us, he said, for we are not ignorant of his devices. But Satan loves to afflict us. He loves to persecute us. He loves to, to vex us and to tempt us. Now think of the ways in which Satan employs these devices. Uh, what are his devices and how does he work against us? Well, I, I, think, I think this, first of all, Satan tempts. Does he not? He tempts. He tempts us to sin. He, he, he seeks to entice us. He uses the lure of this world. He uses discontentment in our lives and dissatisfaction in our hearts. And, and he, he, he causes us he, or he tries to entice us to look for greener pastures. He tempts us. Our flesh is prone to temptation. Every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The reason temptation is temptation for us is because of the lust that's in our hearts, the desires that are in our hearts. Then Satan tries us. He persecutes. He stirs up adversaries against us. You know, Satan accuses us. The Bible said he is the accuser of the brethren. Satan uh, often will work in, in the heart and mind of a believer to heap guilt upon guilt upon guilt on top of them, to weigh them down. Other times, he will stir up others to falsely accuse other believers. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is a deceiver. That's his chief tactic. He is a liar. He is the father of all lies. He was a liar in the beginning, and he uses deceit, and he uses lies to vex the people of God. You know, here's another tool of the devil. He confuses people. Satan confuses people. By the way, if you're confused tonight, let me just assure you of this. That confusion does not come from God. God is not the author of confusion. He's the author and finisher of our faith, but he's not the author of confusion. I want you to know that Satan seeks to distort and misinform and, 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 and misrepresent and confuse people in this age. Another thing Satan does is he discourages people. He works to discourage you and hinder you at every turn. Uh, just this week in our pastor's meeting, uh, we looked in Nehemiah chapter number four and how the Bible said the strength of the bearers of the burdens uh, was decayed. 
the people who were engaged in the daily effort of rebuilding the walls, they grew discouraged. And Satan will discourage us. He will get us to look at the problems. He will take our eyes off of the progress. He will cause us to forget about the possibilities, and he will cause us to grow discouraged. Are you discouraged tonight? I want you to know the Lord will encourage you and lift you up. God is not the source of discouragement, but the devil is. You see, Satan tempts and he tries and he, he accuses, he deceives, he confuses, he, discourage, he discourages. <clears throat> Satan intimidates. He tries to cause people to be full of fear. He, he tries to silence God's children. He, he tries uh, to, to silence them through intimidation. I think about those three Hebrew boys. I think Brother Paulie preached about them last Sunday evening. They said, we will not bow. We will not be intimidated, king. Quite a show the king had, wasn't it? All the music, all the people, the false image, what a giant image it was, an impressive image it was. When you hear the music, everybody bow, but those three boys refused to bow. When Satan wants to strike fear into our hearts. Fear is one of his tactics. Our nation is filled with fear at the moment. We're afraid of disease. We're afraid of, 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 of the political unrest in our country. We're, we're afraid of the next strain and the next uh, thing that's coming down, our, our, coming down the pike, coming our way. Satan wants to strike fear into the hearts of God's children. Let me tell you another tactic of the devil. He divides. He divides. You see, he knows that when the church is together, when, when the sheep are together, it's much more difficult to single them out and devour them. And so he divides. He, he tries to work against the church by dividing the church, by, by stirring uh, the hearts of people to, to, to appeal to their carnal appetites, to, to cause them to take offense so that he can divide the church and thereby hinder the work of the church. Satan inflames every situation. He doesn't seek to pacify or bring peace or reconciliation. No, he stirs it up more and more. Satan attacks. He attacks. As Brother Norris pointed out to the preachers, Satan wants to physically attack you. He's not, he's not the cause of all disease, but he certainly wants to use disease. By the way, disease is the result of sin, sin that has come into the world. I'm not saying that if you have a disease, it's because you have committed a particular sin. I'm saying part of the sin nature and part of the curse of fallen man is that we deal with death and disease and dying. And Satan will use disease against you. Stress to stir you up and, and, and cause you to be restless and anxious. The Bible said, be careful for nothing, but in all things, what are we to do? We're to give thanks. We're, we're to let our requests be made known unto God. We're to give thanks. We're to give our petitions to the Lord. Satan will attack. He attacks when we're weak. He is relentless in his attacks. These are the afflictions that we endure. And how are we to endure them? Well, he gives us the truth here. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You see, the afflictions that we suffer are not 
at all unlike the afflictions that the world suffers, but we have something that they don't have. We have a shepherd. We have a home in heaven. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the promises of God. Don't get too excited about it, but we have all of those things tonight. And so when the suffering comes and the afflictions come and the trials come, yes, we're disturbed. Yes, we're bothered by it. But let me tell you that we have a firm foundation, a hope in heaven, an inheritance in the heavens that fadeth not away. The afflictions we endure. And then let me give you a third thought here. That is the assurance we enjoy. The assurance we enjoy. Now, I've already cracked the door on this third one by just saying to you we have something they don't have. What is it? We have assurance. We have hope. We have joy. Look at it, if you would, please, in verse 10. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I want you to know that we have assurance and we can enjoy that assurance as we endure the afflictions that we've been called on to endure. Now, we have an adversary and he is working. He is using affliction in our lives because he desires to devour us, because he desires to sift us like we. But in the midst of all of that, we have assurance. Now, I want you to see our assurance comes from the God of grace. Notice if it, notice it, if you would, please, in verse 10. But the God of all, would you say the next word with me? Grace. The God of how much grace? The God of all grace. Grace is that strength that we receive from God. Uh, grace is giving to us that favor that is unmerited. In other words, it's, it's not a part of our natural makeup. We, we, we do not inherit it by right. We are recipients of it based on the benevolent love of our God. He is the God of all grace. And that grace quite simply strengthens us and empowers us to endure all our affliction. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I mentioned this just a moment ago, but in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, I want you to see Paul is the apostle. God is revealing uh, most of the New Testament epistles are revealed through Paul. And he says, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of these revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Here we find that God is going to allow Satan to bring a thorn into the life of David, uh, Paul rather. I'm, I'm forgetting where I'm at right now. I'm enjoying being with David on Sunday mornings, but I'm also enjoying being uh, with Paul on Sunday nights. The Lord has allowed the messenger of Satan to buffet him. By the way, was that unprecedented? No. We know of at least one other example given in the Old Testament. Do you remember who that was? 
Job. The Bible said the sons of God had come to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. And here we find that Satan is accountable to God. With all his power, he is still accountable to God. And Satan came before the Lord, and the Lord said, Have, have you considered my servant Job? I mean, he is a perfect man, upright, eschewth evil. There is none like Job in all the earth. <laughs> and the devil said, Well, let me just tell you something. The only reason Job worships you is because you've taken care of him. I mean, you've blessed him. You've blessed his family. Uh, you've blessed his business. He has flocks and herds. He's a wealthy man. But I'm going to tell you, God, you, 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 you let me touch him. You let me touch the things that he has, and, and he'll curse you to, to your face. He, he'll turn his back on you. And the Lord said, okay. And we know the story that Job's children were killed. His flocks and herds were either destroyed or stolen away. And Job got all that news in one day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine getting that news in one day? In one setting, in just a small amount of time. And he said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know many people that could do that. Do you? The only reason he was able to do it was because of the God of grace. And then later when he was touched with this dreadful disease, these boils that broke out on him from head to toe, this loathsome disease that he had, and his friends came uh, thinking they were going to comfort him but only to accuse him. And still the Bible said that Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly with his mouth. God used the devil so that the Lord would receive glory. By the way, what glory did the Lord receive in the life of Job? He received the glory of the worship of a man who no matter how his circumstances in life turned out, worshiped God for who he was not for what he got out of him. Job just said, he's my God. Come what may, he's my God, and he's worthy of my worship. And Satan was a defeated foe yet again. You see, the messenger of Satan, now he has come against Paul. And Paul said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, this is the voice of the Lord speaking to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. God brings us to the place and point of weakness so that his strength may be realized in us. And so it might be manifest through us. Our assurance comes from the God of grace. But then we note, secondly, 
Our assurance comes from the God of glory. Notice again here in verse 10, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what God's purpose in this world is? It's to glorify himself. Do you know what God's purpose for your life is? That you would bring glory to him. And God is going to use your suffering, your trials, this spiritual conflict that you and I are in, in this very moment, God is going to use it for his glory and for your good. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 7, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Here we have this truth imparted to us. We have this life of God, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit in these earthen vessels, in these frail bodies of flesh, we possess this strength and this grace. Verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, have this, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to know whatever affliction you and I are facing, God has an eternal purpose in this temporal suffering that we're enduring. And that eternal purpose involves you and what he desires to do in your heart. And so what does Peter say to us here in this passage concerning our suffering and how God works on our behalf through it? Well, he tells us again in verse 10, after that ye have suffered a while. Remember, it's just for a moment, just for a moment. This affliction, it's a light affliction. And here's what he does. Through it, he makes you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That means he completes you. God knows what is lacking in your life. You don't know it. You might think you have arrived. The heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? We're very good at seeing the faults of others. We're very inept at seeing our own faults. 
at dealing with them, at recognizing them. But God is working in us, and God is working through us to perfect us, to complete us, to conform us to the image of his son. And he uses affliction to bring this change about. Now, he says there are three direct things that will happen. Number one, he will establish us. This means uh, that we will, be, uh, we will be firmly planted, that we will stand in strength. Though Satan desires to move you and I through suffering, the Lord establishes us. The problems that have come to you this week, the problems that have come to you in the recent months, the problems that you have dealt with perhaps for long periods of time, wondering if they're ever going to come to an end, God is using that trial and that difficulty. God is using that in your life to establish you, to plant you firmly, to give you the muscles and the strength, spiritually speaking, to exercise the faith that is required to stand. And then he says, strengthen. God wants to strengthen us through these trials. Those of you who have endured some trials, you look at young people who are beginning to go through some trials, and you see how they respond and, and, and how they, they're tempted to quit or to despair. And you think to yourself as you listen to them talk about their problems, Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. By the way, it's probably not a good thing to say. It'll really discourage them. But what you know is that God is faithful and he will bring them through. And they will learn that as they endure these trials. He will strengthen us. If you want to build a muscle, you've got to break a muscle. And God is stretching us so that he might strengthen us so that he might further equip us and prepare us for his service because God knows the challenges that we're going to face in the days ahead. He wants to establish us. You say, man, I, I feel like the devil's about to remove me from the scene. This trial is going to take me off, off the face of the earth. No, it's not. God is using it to plant you firmly here. God is using it to strengthen you, and God is using it to settle you. You know, I'm a nervous person. I don't know if I've confessed that to you before. But I'm prone to nervousness. I remember as a kid just being consumed with nervousness over certain things. I mean, just disrupted, disturbed, fearful, intimidated. Now, that might be hard for you to believe, but I'm telling you, that's who I am. And things that happen can unsettle me. They can disrupt me. They can cause me great internal trials. They can disrupt my peace. And every time that happens, you know what God does? He helps me understand how much I need him. The things I forget when I'm at peace, I remember when I'm disturbed. But you know, I don't believe it's God's will for me to walk around unsettled and anxious to you. I know that because he told me to be careful for nothing. 
But in everything with thanksgiving, let my requests be made known unto God. What is God teaching me to do? Well, I think he's trying to teach me how to pray. I think he's trying to teach me how to draw on that peace of God which passes all understanding that will keep my heart and my mind. You see, God wants to settle me, to give me the peace and the grace that I'm going to need and that you're going to need for the trials that lay ahead. Because as I said a moment ago, we're at war. We're in a spiritual battle. And this conflict will not cease until we step on the shores of heaven. And so may God help us to be faithful. May God help us to stand. And as we stand, we stand against an adversary. As we stand, we stand in the face of affliction. But as we stand, we stand strengthened with assurance that the God of grace and the God of glory is working his purpose for our good. So having done all to stand, may God help us to stand. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.